0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the PQI podcast. This week, we sit down with the amazing oncology pharmacist who began the Oncology Workforce Collaborative to discuss its history and current status. Well, thank you all ladies for joining us on the PQI podcast today. To start out, will you each please introduce yourselves and give the audience a brief background of who you are and what you all do?
1: Hi, I'm Allison Gulbus. I'm a clinical pharmacist and clinical pharmacy manager at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and I've been working there close to 19 years now um, in the stem cell transplant realm. Thank you. Thanks
2: for having me. Um, My name is Kamakshi Rao. I am an interim director of pharmacy at the University of North Carolina Medical Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, I've been at UNC for a little over 18 years at this point, Um, have a background um, similar to Allison in oncology and stem cell transplant, but now um, oversee our clinical and academic services.
0: Great. And then Uh, last but not least.
3: (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, Thanks again for having us. Uh, My name is Zahra Jafari and I am a clinical pharmacy manager at the University of Kansas um, Health health System. And um, I have been working um, at KU now for nearly 13 years, similar to Allison and Kamakshi. Background is in stem cell transplant and cellular therapeutics. Um, So I have the great privilege of uh, managing a great team in the hematology and cellular therapy space.
0: All right, well, thank you ladies. A a ton of experience and a wealth of knowledge between the three of you. So we're privileged to have you today, Um, but you're here to talk about a project that you have all been working on. And I think when when speaking with at least a couple of you, I know is very near and dear to your hearts. Um, So the Oncology Workforce Collaborative, but to start, will you tell us what is the Oncology Workforce Collaborative?
1: Yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that. It's basically, it started in around 2021, and it was something that uh, we developed to try to understand and take aim at the oncology pharmacy workforce and the issues we were noticing with attrition and workplace satisfaction. It basically started with a survey being created, and that survey revealed several themes that we thought needed further exploration in terms of why people might be leaving the oncology workforce space, whether it be in the academic setting or even the community setting. And from there, survey two became, uh, and we had great responses to both surveys. A majority of our respondents were from both academia, from academic medical centers and from community medical centers. And with those results, we had this oncology workforce collaborative that we brought together at the Hematology-Oncology Pharmacists Association pre-meeting, or HOPA, um, and that helped to bring some of the key issues that were coming through in the themes of these surveys to light to try to find solutions for the problems we identified from survey one and two.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. And then, is this only geared towards pharmacists, or which members of the multidisciplinary team is the collaborative geared towards?
2: Yes. Yeah, so the collaborative, when you know when we created it and the way it's been executed, has really been focused in the area of oncology pharmacists. Um, judging from our background, it makes sense why that's would that would be where we focused. Um, we've had lots of conversations about whether this should encompass pharmacists in other specialty areas outside of oncology, or whether we go beyond pharmacists within oncology. Um, But the the three of us really felt like we needed to focus in on solutions that targeted one specific group. And the experience of oncology pharmacists is varied enough um, Mm -hmm. that we figured this this was the best and most appropriate starting point for us. That said, I think as we've As we've heard the themes that have come across and have brought them up in discussion, uh, the number of times it's been thrown around to say you could just remove oncology pharmacy and change that to either be like critical care pharmacy or oncology nursing, they're pervasive elements. Um, So we're hoping that some of the actions that we come up with, we might find success within oncology pharmacy that could be translated outside as well.
1: Yes,
0: great point. I think all, all of healthcare likely can learn from what you ladies are are bringing to the table. Um, and you, you kind of already discussed, Allison, how and why the collaborative started. So if you all have any more to add on that, that would be great. And then if not, I also would love to know, um, is there still, you know, there have been talks of the great migration of oncology pharmacists is that still happening, and why? So I guess what what did you learn in these sur- surveys one and two, or some some of the reasons why people are leaving?
3: Yeah, we learned a lot of um, a lot of really interesting things, things that maybe surprised us and then other things that didn't surprise us um, as it relates to the pharmacists who are transitioning to alternative roles that are away from direct patient care. Um, you know, we had a good number of Um, survey respondents who were newer in practice, but we also had a large number of individuals who had been in practice for uh, quite a long time. And what we found was that their reasonings were different for wanting a change, um, and and that's okay. There were some individuals who we kind of classified as more individuals who are have early attrition, as opposed to people who are looking for professional development opportunities. But it really boiled down to four key themes. Um, the first theme being personal well-being and burnout. Um, and these are not in any particular order, by the way. So <laughs> I wanna make sure I clarify that. Um, metrics and the need for metrics um, and, and how you would assess a pharmacist work, workload. Um, professional development, and kind of a career advanced manner or uh, practice model type of um, factor. And, and so all of those together were part of the reason why we ultimately did a second survey to learn more about that and then um, brought the collaborative together. I think Allison did a great job of describing it. We had, you know, over 40 individuals from all over the country who had varying roles, not only pharmacists with direct patient care roles, but we also had coordinators and managers and we also, we had, we had um, directors of pharmacy as well so that each individual um, represented their institution, but the greater workforce and all collaborated collaborated really well with one another. It was a great, uh, well, it was really one day total, but two days together um, that we had a lot of ideas that we threw out there and we're looking forward to bringing the results and, and working together on taking the next steps forward.
0: Great. And so with that being said, what initiatives are you currently working on as part of the collaborative?
1: So some of the initiatives that came to mind from the collaborative and from this wonderful group of people who came together at this HOPA pre-meeting workshop um, is that we need to really think about not just the problems, but some of the solutions and even the resources needed because We may have great ideas about what needs to be fixed, but we have to make sure the resources are in place to fix or alleviate whatever pressure is occurring that's causing the problem. Um, And as Zara already mentioned, the main areas of focus, there's a lot of opportunity within each of those areas to even develop white papers or best practices to help guide other centers whether it be an academic medical center or a community medical center in the realm of oncology pharmacy that could then be applied as Kamakshi mentioned, not just to oncology pharmacists, but other pharmacists in the clinical realm and even other healthcare practitioners such as advanced practice providers, et cetera, to help um, bring forth some change that is probably needed in all of those areas.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, did you, were there any like glaring observations that you can point out just, just initially, I know you, this is still in progress and still going to be a while, but are there any initial findings that you just think, wow, like we're, we definitely need to focus on this?
2: I would say, I can take a stab here is to say, you know, while, while we tried to break down the, the root causes into four main areas that Zara mentioned before, which was, you know, Practice models, professional development, burnout and well-being, and then metrics. I think one of the most impressive things to see is that even though we took those four things apart, the solutions point right at each other. There are some really powerful things that we can do that may actually alleviate all four of those areas. Um, and I think that that to me was one of the most important takeaways. Um, is that there are incremental things. They're not easy. They will take resources and they will take time, but they can actually get at multiple different root causes. Um, and, and some of them are about like how we lean into our team members. Um, how do we make the work um, personal and meaningful? How do we highlight what brings people joy in their work um, and give them space to celebrate that? Um, there's also the aspect of how do we train our leaders to have the conversations that are necessary um, to support team members. And um, so it is really an all hands approach. But if you address well being and burnout, you're going to affect how the practice model works. And that in turn will help drive your metrics. Um, and so, like all these things really do relate to each other. And I think that's one of the more special things that came out of it.
0: Yes, that def- definitely makes sense. Um, so, and you just mentioned leadership. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to skip a question, but go, how could employers and administrators who are listening to this help?
3: Yeah, I think one, one big um, caveat for both surveys was that leadership was, um, was identified as an area of opportunity. And, and I think it it really stems down to understanding your team and talking to your team um, and making sure that you have a deep understanding of what drives them and what brings them joy. Um, one thing that you know we definitely recognize is that not one size is going to fit every single person, and each team member has their own strengths and their own areas of opportunities. I wouldn't even call it a weakness, um, and I and I think it is good for um, employers, administrators, leaders to understand their teams, but then also spend a day shadowing or more than a day shadowing their team members to see what their pain points are and try to remove what we call the orange cones, right? Trying to remove some of that, some of the things that are slowing them down that they can Um, that, that doesn't bring them joy, but perhaps could be another area of opportunity. Um, One thing that I know we've done a lot of talking about amongst ourselves is, you know, we do exit interviews for, for team members who leave organizations, but we do need to spend more time focusing on things like stay interviews um, and ensuring that, you know, you, you touch base with your team members routinely once every three months, whatever the, the interval needs to be because people's um, stressors and the things that bring them joy does tend to change as well. And so I have an understanding and being able to kind of create a, a position or a job or a role that t- is tailored to individual strengths is number one. But I think being familiar with um, with your processes, your people, and what drives them, and then trusting your people to um, have a say in some of the changes that you make is is really important as well.
0: You know, I think those are all great points and I love what you said that it's their areas for opportunity, not weaknesses. I think if if everyone looked in leadership looked at your employees like that, it'd be a game changer for sure. And then how can our members, so in CODA I know we have a lot of overlap with HOPA, a lot of collaboration with HOPA, um, we have a lot of oncology pharmacists in various settings, but also pharmacy techs, nurses, some physicians, how can our members help um, what you all are doing and to help
1: push the collaborative forward? So I think one way is, you know, start by reading the initial survey results that we published to get an idea of what the issue is to get a pulse on, you know, how widespread is this same issue at their institution. Um, talk to other people that they network with in ENCODA and in other organizations. Because sometimes it just takes some collective brainstorming to think of a best practice from one center that can be applied to another center uh, that can help with managing the workload or the metrics of the practice model, and even key features that could be used for professional development, um, which was also a theme in in these surveys. Um, And, you know, just make sure that when you're looking at these experiences, you don't just share the the ones that need improvement, but the good experiences. There's a lot of stuff out there that can help other centers that you may not know is a great way of doing things or a great uh, way to practice that others can use.
0: Yes, I think every everyone learning from each other is invaluable as well. Um, And if you will send me the link to the initial surveys, we can definitely link those in the show notes so that people, people have easy access to evaluate those. And then how important is it for all of our national oncology organizations to work together on this problem?
2: I mean, I don't think we could understate how important that is. I think, um, you know, this, that even the experience of pulling this collaborative together has has bonded the three of us as co-investigators together, just in terms of navigating how you have really thoughtful conversations, um, how it's shown us where there's really opportunity for um, synergy between organizations. Um, organizations nationally you know, tend to find like what's our niche, how do we carve out to support our membership? Um, but so many of us align with multiple different organizations. Um, and in doing that, like it best supports us. And so I think we would like to, 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 to charge organizations to find ways to collaborate meaningfully and feel like if three organizations or five organizations could work together behind a single um, initiative or collaborative, to just imagine the power that could have um, instead of the alternative of, of trying to like break it down into parts that serve individual organizations. I think the collective advocacy power that exists amongst all of our organization is um, a strength that's waiting to be tapped into for pharmacy in general. Um, and within oncology pharmacy, I think the advocacy potential that exists amongst our organizations is very, very strong. Um, I think that That when you think about who our senior level C-suite executives listen to, organizational direction is so powerful. Um, So if our national professional organizations could rally together, I think that could make very meaningful impacts in terms of how likelihood that the, the changes that we want to see can
0: actually be implemented and supported. Great points. Thank you. And then we'll have two final uh, questions. One is a fun question, but that we ask all of our guests. But before that, is there any closing thoughts or final things you would like to add or even specific ways that people can get involved in what you're doing? Any any needs that you have? Any Anything you'd like to add before we move on to those?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's not enough time in the day, right? We We are three... Um, individuals who we call it our day jobs and then we have this workforce collaborative it is not ours Um, and we share the same thing with um, the individuals who came to the event is that it is all of ours it's all of our responsibilities you know ultimately um, it, it comes down to ensuring that we for the individuals who want to stay in direct patient care roles that we provide them the resources and the ability to do so for as long as they want to stay within direct patient care roles, but then also giving opportunities to others who are looking for something different and being able to leverage their strengths differently. I think one thing that really spoke to me during all of this was the first time that we presented the survey one results, um, It was July of last year um, that some people came up to us and said, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one feeling this way. And I think what it has done is allow the conversation to occur um, amongst individuals, amongst organizations, and teams, and having them have the conversation um, at their own. At their own organization to see what types of things they can do to tackle it, has removed that stigma um, for a lot of a lot of individuals who have individually reached out to us um, and have provided and contributed to this collaborative. But I would say the biggest thing is it's not ours. We we started we started this this great thing um, because we. Noticed, um, and we wanted to put some measures around it, Um, but it will take really the work of the collective to to make a meaningful change. Each one of the things that Kamakshi mentioned, it yes, they're very intertwined, and it's almost like a a game of Jenga, right? You move one piece, you want to make sure the tower itself doesn't fall. Ultimately, we just want to ensure that our patients receive the best possible care, um, and hopefully, these conversations will lend itself to
0: that absolutely thank you and any anything else before we move on i think i would just share that you know this is i
2: mean i think it it started as what was a, a pretty what we thought was like a small idea like that we were curious about um but in like taking that first step with the survey it just opened floodgates of like raw experiences that our colleagues have had and that's been um, that has been what's carried us through really two years of this project um, and has kept us motivated. So I, I think I would just offer like if anyone who's listening like filled out a survey, that you have such like we have such immense gratitude for that. I think people trusted us with really important voices. And I think that's what I would, what we would ask moving forward is if there's a way that we can help amplify your voice, that's been the whole purpose. Beyond be, behind our, our collaborative, um, and then we couldn't have done it without like the 600 plus people who lent their voice to the survey results. So just, I think a note of gratitude to everybody who's supported us through the process.
0: That's great. Thank you. Um, so now we will move on to those questions. Uh, this podcast is called the PQI podcast to bring awareness to ENCODA's positive quality intervention resource. So I think you, or at least maybe some of you have had the opportunity to check out the PQIs. So what value do you see in that resource?
1: So for me, I think it's a great way to bring some of the experience, best practices, and other initiatives that other centers have, especially surrounding this type of topic, um, to a broader light so that others in the same area of oncology can take that information even if they're not pharmacists, even if they don't work in community or academic medical centers, and see how it applies to them in their organization. So you know, use it as somewhat of a toolkit. All right, thank you. And then, as our final fun question,
0: so I'll give you each an opportunity to answer, and we can go alphabetical again. So Allison, Kamakshi, and Zara. Or if someone has a needs to think, you can also make one of your um, friends go first. But if you could have dinner with anyone living or in history, who would it be? And
1: then also, what would be on your menu? I mean, it's really hard to say like one person, but I think the one person that's been very influential to my spirit has been RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's unfortunate that she's not with us anymore, but I think that that would be the one person. I would love to pick her brain and, you know, have the opportunity to be face to face with her. Um, and the other question you asked is, what would we eat or what? Yeah, um, what, what would be for dinner? What would be for dinner? Probably for me, something I don't normally get to eat at home because I have picky eaters. Um, so either sushi or some uh, Indian or Lebanese food, something cultural that I want to have more opportunity to, to enjoy.
0: <laughs> I understand that for sure. With a, a three and an 11 year old, we, um, we got to do date night for the culture. So I feel like she would be in, she would be into that as well. So good, good selections. Okay. Who's up? Who's Sorry, in- you have,
2: you can go because I'm still considering
3: if you are you look like you were ready to speak so you
0: can go well it was funny because as soon
3: as she said rbg I was like that was who I was gonna have dinner with
1: (laughs) (laughs) but um you can have dinner with us
3: thank (laughs) you I I love what's on your menu um I think I think going on the same breath it was either rbg for me or Helen Keller um but then kind of thinking more again to so the Supreme Court Justice, I know you just told me to pick one, but I suppose someone who's living as I would love to have dinner with um, Kitanji Brown Jackson. I think she exhibits a lot of really inspiring qualities um, and I really, I really enjoy kind of learning more about her. And dinner for me, um, I really love Thai food, so I think I would just go and have some Thai food. I think that'd be great.
0: More good choices. More good choices. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um. And for me, I think uh, I'm going to go with uh, the living person, and I would love to have dinner with Michelle Obama. I think, um, you know, historically seen as someone who played a support role, but really used a very, and continues to use a really intentional voice to, like, celebrate people, Um, and I think that's, it it aligns with the way I wish I could lead as well, Um, so I would love to have dinner with her. Um, It also seems like she would be an adventurous eater, so that would be great. Yes. um I'm a sucker for like really good Mexican food like I do not like chain Mexican food so I would like some like solid enchiladas that would be amazing
0: that also sounds delicious and great choice and I feel like you should also like have her one of her designers style you or her stylist style you that would yeah be.
2: i would i would go for her designer and whoever her personal trainer is i would
0: i would yeah. gladly
2: gladly step along for the ride. So if yeah. she's listening to the podcast, I'm ready to have dinner anytime.
0: Maybe she will be. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but thank you all three so much for joining us today and giving your time to ENCODA. And thank you for what you're doing um, for pharmacists, healthcare workers, and you know, ultimately for our patients. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate thank it. You. Yeah, it's thank you nice for podcast. having us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Allison, Kamakshi, and Zara. You can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts and on encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A dot org. You can also find us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We hope you tune in next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.